Happy start of the holiday season, and welcome to the Hamdom Thoughts Podcast. If you're new to the podcast, this is a show about mostly ham radio and getting to know the hams behind the operation. I'm your host, 86DM Dennis. Today I'm joined by Jeff, call sign AA6XA. Jeff likes getting out there and writing about it. He's one of the more active summits on the air hams that I know. And if you look up peaks in the California area or the Sierras, you'll probably find a trip report written by him. Thank you for joining us on episode 19 today. Stay tuned. Jeff, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing pretty good. We're in the same area. We're here in uh, California, so it's um, notably a lot darker and colder these days with a lot less daylight. I got the heater on here in this room. How's it over there? I turned the heater on earlier to stop freezing. <laughs> This is actually the first time I've turned on my space heater all year since last winter. So probably since February. So um, where are you at again? What? What's? Um, I am living in Santa Clara right now, so right Clara. outside San Jose. So you are in the heart of Silicon Valley. Yes. Pretty much. Right next to all the big ones like Google and Apple and all them. Yeah, previous apartment was up near facebook so it's uh, oh okay so menlo park yeah that's cool anyway um thanks for being on the podcast this uh today it's in the afternoon right now and i i did want to talk with you because the the thing is if i am researching a soda trip i see your website pop up a lot in the Google search results, your website's called the long green tunnel. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Which Um, I guess is a reference to the East coast, but a lot of your trip reports are here. People on the East coast, if you have any listeners there might recognize it as a a way to call the Appalachian trail. Some people refer to it as a long green tunnel. Yep. And originally it started, it was just my, like journal, I would type it up as I was through hiking the AT and put it there so people could read it. And then after I moved out here to California, eventually I started doing soda and and, uh, started putting on the trip reports and stuff. Nice. Yeah. I I found it uncanny. I'd look up something. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go check out that one. And even all the, all the, all two of the peaks that I've done so far, I found some blurb about how to get up that peak from your website. And so you're unique in the sense that you are from both coasts. You're currently on the West coast, but you, you started in the East coast. So yeah, you do have quite a few entries and we'll get into that a little more in a bit. Uh, I'll just open it like I do with the others. Tell us about yourself, how you got into ham radio and uh, you know, what motivates you in it? Yeah, so, well, like, 
grew up in New Hampshire. And one summer I was on a, a canoe trip with my scout troop. And one of the leaders had brought his ham radio stuff and would set it up in the evening as we were at campsites or islands or wherever we were staying that night. And it seemed interesting to me. And so he offered to do the radio merit badge with me. And so I took him up on that and got that. And then he's like, well, you know, you learned like half the stuff you need for technician. You want to just, you know, learn the rest of it and go get your license. And I said, Hey, that sounds interesting. So I did that. And that was back when they still had the code test. So I learned Morse code barely and went and, and took the test and passed elements one and two and got a tech plus license. Oh, okay. And so then, this is probably the nineties or so. Yeah, this was 2004, I believe. Oh, okay. Then eventually took the general and extra tests and, and finished those before I got out of high school and then was off the air for a number of years in college and a bunch of other stuff. And then found my way out to Silicon Valley here and got back into radio a couple of years ago. And, um, somehow I stumbled across summits on the air and said, Hey, that looks like fun. I like going hiking. And so I got myself a mountain topper and, and started, started climbing peaks with a radio. I think that's a little bit of an understatement though, <laughs> that you like to hike. You have activated so many peaks and I mean, just evidenced by your website, I don't think you write a trip report about every single one of your hikes, but just by looking at your website, I could tell you've been on a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, most of the recent entries from the past couple of years are all soda trip reports, but since I've done all the ones here, I don't really want to write, you know, three, four trip reports for the same summit. So I found yeah. other peak bagging lists and started doing those and writing some reports on those. Yep. But you don't have a YouTube channel or anything like that where you're showing the actual trips yeah. up. Okay. Yeah, I have the patience to <laughs> shoot video and then edit it later and do all that stuff. It's a lot of work. I could, I could yeah, tell from, a, from some of the other very active. Be able to do it, but. Yeah. Like, like Charlie, NJ7V, okay. or, um, or even Rex did a, quite a few in the beginning, KE6MT. And I've, I've tried, you know, I've only done a couple peaks, but it is a lot of work. You got you to think about a lot of things. And I feel like I miss out on some of the actual enjoyment of the hike because I'm just always conscious of what am I getting recorded. Yeah, this has crossed my mind sometimes. You know, like, should I be sitting here enjoying this, you know, beautiful view from my phone screen taking pictures and stuff? Or should I just... Yeah. Put the phone away and just take it all in without technology getting in the way. Your sites, your site entries do put some, some scenic views. So probably after you've taken a chance to take it all in, snap a few photos yeah. and then, um, yeah, and usually. some of the other ones too, the, the, like where you describe how to actually get to the trail and, or if you have to bushwhack what you have to bushwhack through, you take a few pictures of those as well. And that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. We'll try not to, at least for the bushwhack ones, try not to, to make those sound easier than they actually are. Cause some of them are pretty horrendous in this area. Yeah. There's also, um, I remember a few entries where you said that you wanted you, well, let me rephrase that. There's a few that I've seen where I'm like looking at the map, like the, what do you call that? The soda Atlas, Sotlis site oh, yeah. and then i'd be like that one looks close and interesting let me go check it out and then i'll 
I'll find your page eventually that writes about it. And it will say something like, this is private property. Getting to this one is really hard, you know? And I'm like, oh man, that would have been a perfect one. You know, <laughs> I think one of the ones in San Francisco you talked about like that or that area. And, uh, and then now recently the, the rag Ridge one is now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you get lucky and you can find routes that, you know, get into the activation zone without leaving the park or stuff like that. But sometimes it's, it's, you know, you just can't go there because there's, it's well signed, no trespassing and stuff like that. Yeah. It's unfortunate too, but yeah, you got to respect private property. And yeah, I think well, one of them down near Gilroy, I found a route had to walk across a dam on a reservoir, which was, you know, in a county park or something. And you can only do it in, in like in the summer when the water is low enough to so get to walk across the spillway too. Oh, nice. and then it's this, super dense um you know super dense whatchamacallit brush getting up to the summit all in order to stay inside the county park and you know this the fence line is right on the ridge there so you can just stay in public land and be on the summit yeah <laughs> well can you tell us a little bit about what got you into soda in the first place you you talked about it a little bit in the beginning there someone mentioned to you or did someone mention it to you or you just discovered I mean, it? I think I just stumbled across it on the internet. I don't remember. And then um, you just said, I feel this like combines I, things I that I remember. Like. I was, you know, like thinking about like pulling out all my radios out of the closet and stuff and, you know, Googling that and it's like, Oh, I only have CW radios since that's all I had when I was a kid. So I got to learn that again. And somehow I, came across the summits on the air or saw a reference to it and looked it up. Or, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember exactly where I heard about it first or read about it first. And by then when you were looking at those things, you already had all the HF gear. You say you had a mountain topper, but well, were, were you, so I bought the mountain topper after I got or learned about soda. Oh, okay. Did you Back start like the rest of us with a handheld and, you know, tripping yeah, repeaters so a, all around the area and then a, got into HF afterwards or a uh, kit that I got for my birthday one year was a SW 40 plus from small wonder labs back when they were around. So I had a little 40 meter homebrew CW rig QRP. Had a built in key in there or did you have a separate key for it? No, I had a straight key somewhere. Yeah. That, yeah, that rig doesn't have a key or in it. And then when I, discovered the soda it's like oh this this looks like it'll be fun so you know people seem to like the mountain topper and it wasn't too expensive and got one of the um the american morse equipment porta paddles and some lithium batteries and stuff like that and built myself a um, speaker wire doublet mm, okay little tuner that's pretty yeah. cool though the I, you mentioned the american morse that was one of the first keys i got as well for portable I have, uh, what is it? It's called a DCP. I don't remember what that means. Oh, yeah, uh, the dirt cheap paddle. Is that what it means? Pretty fair. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know all this time. So I bought the DCP. I thought this was like, okay, th yeah, it is pretty cheap. I think it was like $45 or maybe 50 bucks yeah. compared to other keys, which $300, you know, if you're looking at Viroplex or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so... 
was like, well, this works, you know, it's, it's just a piece of aluminum that's been, um, machined and got some screws in it and nice, simple switch. I, I didn't really know yeah, what I, I could do to make my own key at the time. So I, I was just like, I'll, I'll go with this one. And wow, I didn't even know that DCP dirt cheap paddle highly recommended though. So don't let that name discourage any of, of you listening. <laughs> yeah, it's took a mine great... until I got a Palm Pico paddle. And oh, you got one of the Pico I've paddles. I've taken out my American Morse one since then. Yeah. Pico paddle is a ferret, but no longer available, sadly. Yeah. I'm, uh, I don't know. I don't want anything to happen to it anymore since it's a high value or something now. Yeah, exactly. It's your precious. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about your loadout for your your trips now, now that you've actually been doing this for several years, what, what does your typical pack look like for, and, and tell us also about like all the other stuff. Like, are you bringing water with you? Are you like Jerry, uh, you know, how Jerry KG six HQD would just bring a filter and (laughs) find water (laughs) himself. But tell us about that. Yeah. So it really depends on where I'm going and, you know, what it's going to be like and how long and all that stuff on most of the hikes and, you know, anything that's got any serious distance or elevation, I'll take my mountain topper. Um, I got, um, an NFED that, uh, K6 ARK ADA made, um, you know, small lithium battery, about 500 milliamp hours. Um, you know, and I just have a little paper notebook since I prefer to log on pen and paper. Mm-hmm. And so it all, basically fits into a quart size Ziploc bag. Nice. Um, except for the pole. So that's the radio stuff. And then, you know, it depends on the weather, you know, I got to bring enough water for the temperature and distance and, you know, the correct number and amount of jackets, and, you know, if you need fleece jackets and puffy jackets and raincoats, or if you can get away with just a small wind jacket, mm-hmm. um, usually bring some snacks and stuff, try and bring all the 10 essentials. Um, mm-hmm you know, first aid kit and compass and yeah, lighter. You're the, and all you're that the second person to mention the 10 essentials. And I think the first one was, uh, was Steve WG zero AT says, just make sure you always have those 10 essentials. And there's a yeah, bunch I, of different lists for it, but I went with the national parks list. They're all pretty similar that I've seen. Yeah. Um, I put, I got a little like two liter stuff stack that I, put most of the stuff into so I just grab it and throw it in my pack and I'll have you know all the ones that aren't perishable and then just bring water and food and stuff like that so that makes it you know quicker and easier to pack and don't have to worry about forgetting things just have to remember to take the knife out if I'm going to go through TSA. Mm -hmm. Speaking of TSA so you have done east coast you started out there and then here and you've also done international soda trips yeah, so mostly most of the summits I've done have been drivable from the Bay Area, like day trips or like overnight to the Sierra. But like if I visit my family in New Hampshire, I'll usually have a day or two I can go get a couple summits. Or um, last year I was in the Benelux countries and took a couple days to get some summits and um, was in Iceland a couple years ago and did a couple summits there. So. Iceland, I can only imagine. Must be must be beautiful out there. Oh yeah, some of the some of those places are. 
And so how many peaks have you actually done? I have done 409 activations. Wow. As of today, the 13th. And that's include, or of that 322 are unique summits. Wow. The last hundred or so are summits I've gone to multiple times. And that's over 17 associations, six in Europe and the rest 11 in North America in the U.S. Wow. Amazing. Are you a goat? Yes. Last year I got point number 1,000 in one of the parks here, a nice little summit that I like, uh, McGuire Peaks in Suno Park. Amazing. So some of these you've done, as, as you say, just drive out from the Bay Area, but others, I imagine, have been camping-type overnighters or backcountry-type activations. Yeah. You know, the Sierra is far enough away from here. I like to, if I'm going to go, I feel like it's better to spend the night or get a long weekend and spend a couple nights and, you know, enjoy my time there. So, you know, I'll bring stuff to go car camping or get a permit and go backpacking somewhere. So, you know, that requires bringing more gear, bring the tent and food and more food and sleeping bags and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Any... Notable. Hard. You can throw it whatever you want in the trunk of the car, but yeah. backpacking, you got to try and keep your weight down so you don't have to carry it as much. You got to really think it's pleasant through. to carry, I guess. Yeah. Have you had any notable ones, like either failures or way glorious in unexpected type activations or climbs? Yeah. I mean, there's been a couple that like I haven't gotten all four contacts on for whatever reason. A lot of those were my fault, like not leaving myself enough time before, like going back to an airport or sunset or whatever, you know, it happens. And I don't know, I'm always surprised sometimes I'll get to a peak and it'll be just, you know, you think it's just going to be, oh, another peak. And it's this majestic view of wherever you are. (laughs) Oh, why did it take me so long to come here? You know, I could have been coming here every year for the past three or four years. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we appreciate your trip reports, because then you could kind of shortcut that for a lot of people they don't have to discover it after too long a time they can just (laughs) just read your site and be like oh i want to see that view yeah so tell us a bit about your camping setup how would how would that be like if you're out back country backpacking on a permit, how, how many pounds are you carrying? And, you know, what's a typical trip like that going to be for you? Um, I think I've got my base weight down to, I don't know, 20 to 25 pounds now. Um, and fit everything into like a, I forget what pack is, 40 or 45 liters, something like that. Um, so, you know, got a lightweight sleeping bag and um, either a small tent or if it's not going to be buggy i'll bring a tarp since it's a lot more spacious um you know cook set and stove and all that stuff whatever clothing you need for the weather you know usually got to bring a bear canister in the sierra radio of course yep mountain topper is that all you bring is the mountain topper or do you have i mean you've mentioned that you have i think we haven't mentioned here but You've mentioned that you have a KX3 or a KX2 and a and an amp. Do you do you ever bring those on your set of peaks? 
Yeah, I mean, on the easier hikes and drive ups and stuff like that, I'll bring the KX3. Um, the amplifier just stays at home. I don't have the batteries and antennas and stuff to mm-hmm. to bring 100 watts out like that. And it's, you know, a lot of cables since it's two separate pieces. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, it's fun to bring the, the KX3 out and more bands and a couple more watts if you need it. Have you ever activated on one of the lower bands, like 80 or 160? Not yet. Um, That's a lot of wire. Sixty. I do eighty, but I don't have any antennas for it yet. Uh huh. Actually, I have a little one water kit for one sixty that I was got to finish uh, putting the case together and then build some sort of antenna for it and take that out and try it out. I can't even imagine what that would be like. That's just meters and meters of wire. <laughs> yeah, my thought right now is is like an invert quarter wave inverted L. That's got some sort of loading coil near the base. Yeah, that's the only Maybe real way is if you, if, reasonable if you have the loading coil and then a really tall mast of some kind. Yeah, well, my masts are only 20 feet or so, so I'd have to either buy one or find a tall tree or something. Yeah. And you mentioned bear canister. So do you have any stories about wildlife encounters or has it been largely peaceful for you out there? I mean, I haven't seen any bears in California yet. It was actually this past weekend, I was up in a, a Black Diamond Mines Park and I got up to a summit and it wasn't a soda summit, but you know, it was nice views. So I stopped and took a break and hear this rustling in the grass. So I look over and I see this cat head pop out of the grass Uh-oh. and it wasn't <laughs> immediately clear to me what sort of cat this was. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a mountain lion, like, oh, that's not good. Yep. The bobcat would probably just run away. Mm-hmm. And so I made a little noise and it looked at me and walked away. And, and then I saw the little tail. It's like, oh, yeah, just a bobcat, you know, I'm not oh, about okay. to die right now. <laughs> well, you say walked away. I was thinking, well, if it's that nonchalant about it, it might be a mountain lion, you know? I don't know. Yeah. I sometimes think that I'm not going to see the mountain lion that kills me, you know? It's, yeah, someone else said that. I think it was Rex who said that. It's like, if, you ever encounter a mountain lion, that's the last thing you'll know. It's like, you won't even know that it was there until you're dead. Yeah, I mean, I've, I remember hiking out, I think I was down at Henry Coe, and it was, you know, late in the year, and sun was setting early, and I had been thinking about mountain lions earlier, and so I was coming down, and it's getting darker, and I was coming off the ridge, and I heard this rustling noise. And naturally, the first thing I thought was mountain lions. So I've been thinking about it earlier. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, what do I do now? So I kept going and got down eventually. Saw some wild pigs. Was, oh. <laughs> you freak yourself out if you're a, yeah. you want to. You get in your head when you're out there on the trail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about lightning? Have you ever encountered any scares with like sudden storms or anything like that? I mean... We don't get a whole lot of lightning out here in California, so that's not been a big deal. Um, you know, it has snowed on me when I was just expecting, you know, scattered rain showers. So that always makes it more interesting. Yeah. But, yeah so I took a beginner's mountaineering course once, and that quickly, it, from just being slightly mentioned, it's like possibility of some storm rolling in later in the afternoon, evening, it quickly switched and it became like the number one priority let's get off this mountain because stuff's coming in faster than we thought and 
this mountain get might get hit by lightning. So that's why I ask because I, I know a lot of these peaks, they get up there in the 10K or higher range. And if the clouds are rolling in, it's something that I think about probably more than wildlife. Yeah. I mean, I, I do try and keep an eye on them, you know, above tree line like that, but I guess I've looked out so far storm wise. Um, last year I did go to New Mexico with Joe uh, N0MAP and one of the summits we had like just got up and set up and made a couple contacts each and we both started hearing thunder crashes and one of us was on 20 and we were even hearing it there and we decided uh, that's nice. it and packed up and got out of there. Time to get out of here. If you're hearing the thunder on 20 meters. It's probably pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a bit about your home setup. What, what do you do at home and, and do you chase more? I, I imagine you activate more than chase. Yes, I, I definitely activate a lot more than chase. Um, still got to work full time. So it's hard to chase people during the week. And it seems like on weekends, I'm always out hiking or activating. So, but you know, if I'm around, I'll try and chase people, but I got a, got the KX3 and the KXPA hundred. So can run a hundred Watts and, um, this apartment, I just got a N-fed wire out my second floor balcony across the driveway here. So it's more or less gets me on 80 through 10 meters. Uh, doesn't work very well on 80. Like operating wise at home, I tend to do a lot of CW contests. I have a lot of fun doing that. Do you do digital or satellite or any of those other modes? I mean, I've dabbled a little in the various WSJT modes. Um, but nothing serious, mostly so CW. You're like a, a mile deep and an inch wide on, on ham radio. You're, you're CW. You like to do soda. <laughs> yes. I know what I like. And yeah, it's, that's, that's great though. Cause I'm everywhere. I'm all over the place and I can't really get too deep in any particular yeah. area. Cause I keep trying all different things all the time and I get all don't, distracted. Don't come look at my workbench with all these. <laughs> mostly finished or half finished projects scattered around that yeah almost working or <laughs> a little more work to okay to get it so so project wise maybe not but in terms of your operation that's i mean it's obvious when i go to your site i see yep cw operation lots of soda peaks portable operation yeah yeah do the vhf contest too that intersects well with soda to mm-hmm be on a summit with all the VHF, UHF stuff. So. so in that area, do you have an arrow antenna or did you make your own saddle? Or yeah, right now VHF I have antenna? arrow for two meters, 220 and 440. And then I got some, I'm not sure what they're supposed to be for from eBay, Yaggies for 902 and 1296. And just, I built a extended double Z for six meters. I don't have a gain antenna for that yet. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I'll get on some of the higher microwave bands at some point. Did you get a chance to see Adam K6ARK's video when he made his own antenna, his, his, uh, his Yagi? He made out of arrow he shafts. Made a that I've seen. He's got like a handheld one for two meters and a six meter one on a little rotator. And mm-hmm. he's it's pretty a good. It's a great video. Seen. The one that I'm talking about was, it's just so well done that, I'm like, wow, I wish I had that kind of craftsmanship when it came to making my own gear. He, he I've seen, a, he had one like a five or six element Yagi for two meters that I've seen as well. Mm-hmm. 
on YouTube. He's brilliant. So many intense. <laughs> Adam's brilliant. Adam, if you're listening, you're brilliant. <laughs> and you mentioned projects all over the place. Can you tell us a bit about what you're working on? I, I don't know if they're even work work projects or ham projects, but let me let me know. Oh yeah, that's all ham stuff. So ham I got stuff. mostly their transceivers, little QRP CW transceivers. So um, last year I actually finished building a five water um, for forty meters. So I'll take that out sometimes. Interesting. On summits, that's fun. And like I got a, a partially built ten meter one that the receiver is not quite working. So like that's got to get fixed and. You know, I got a, I got that 160 meter one water and I got the paraset from the QRP guys for 80 meters. Um, that's mostly working and now needs a case and an antenna so I can take that out camping and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, other ideas of stuff to do that I have parts for, but haven't started. Yeah, I got a few kits here. I, I put together one of those micro bid X okay. rigs. I forget what the output power is on those, but I wired the CW uh, jack wrong. And so I can only sideswipe it as if I were using a straight key. And so I got to fix that because it's supposed to have a nice key or to it. And I wanted to add one of those next gen three and a half inch, I think LCDs kind of makes okay. it a nicer interface, but then, the case that I got with it, I actually got it from WE4B. I guess they just never started the kit, so he just gave it to me. And I put it together, but the case is made for the little tiny uh, LCD yeah. screen, the, the two-line one, which is fine, but I actually want to try to do that that larger LCD screen because it has a lot more information on it. It almost looks like a, a G90 or, or, or some kind of rig that has a... I don't know if it has a waterfall, but it right. has a lot of information on there. You know, your ALC, your your power, SWR, I think. Maybe not. <laughs> but, yeah, that was a fun kit to build. It's just like you. It's one of those things. It's just kind of waiting to be completed. It's like 95% there. Mm -hmm. And I just have yet to actually make it, complete it to the way I wanted to. And then, of course, I have a, a TNC pie from... KK4 QAM that I've been meaning to work on forever because I want to get a packet station running and just leave it and let, because there's, I'm in the middle of a, a kind of a hole. There's a lot of packet stations all around me within like oh, a 20 mile radius, but my particular area, it's just empty of any packet station. So I got to really get the wire way up if I want to talk to a packet station and I want to contribute to that. So that's, that's another one of my to-dos. And unfortunately now it's too cold. <laughs> so it's going to be hard for me to get that antenna up. Who knows? Maybe in the spring, right? Yeah. Well, don't they say like antennas that you put up in the blizzard are better antennas than oh, summer really? antennas or something like that? Who says that? I believe it. Old timers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Speaking of old timers, do you have any, uh, Elmers or heroes in, in ham radio? AB1AV was, uh, Bill was the guy who uh, got me into it and helped me get my first license and upgrade it and stuff. So it's been nice doing the soda and stuff and meeting all the other people that are similar interests and compare ideas with, you know, like the Rex and Adam and everybody like that. Yep. 
definitely. And you contribute quite a bit of conversation. You're you're in the Jerry Net Slack with us. Yeah. And so when we're talking design, you often yeah. chime and in. I studied electrical engineering, so I do know a little bit about it. I think you, you were also part of the big Ballon debate. Were you part of that? Uh, probably. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> it's a couple of years ago. Sometimes it's fun to poke people on the internet, whether or not you should. Yeah. But that's in reference to the KG6 HQD speaker wire antenna and it's lacking of a Ballon. And I guess that created a nice civil war on Twitter for a period of time. Yeah, I'm not on Twitter very much, so I, I miss out on a lot of those things. Yeah. But it's, I don't know, probably better in the long run not to see all that sort of stuff and wait till it filters down to <laughs> whatever I'm on, you know, yep. Instagram or Facebook or Slack or whatever. So you got any more plans coming up? Any peaks that you want to attack or any new places that you want to go and, and check out their soda situation? Yeah, you know, all the mountains all need to be climbed everywhere. So there's no shortage of places. But yeah, you know, I don't know. It'd be nice to go back to Europe or, you know, get some peaks there or try some of the higher peaks in, in the Alps or whatever. Or, um, you know... I haven't been to the Rocky Mountains very much or up to the Pacific Northwest for hiking very much. So, you know, a lot of places that I just haven't been. Yeah. I was in Mexico recently for a vacation and realized that I couldn't operate there. There's no reciprocal agreement that is officially set right now. So I thought I, I would be able to, and I had just gotten the 705, so I was all excited to use it. Oh, and I realized yeah. I couldn't. You you mentioned Europe. Is there any yeah. real problem with reciprocation well, there? There's the CEPT agreement. So mm -hmm. if you have a if you're in one of the countries that's that's signed it or whatever, and you have an extra license, you can do basically whatever. And I think if you have general, you have limited privileges in some of the countries. But you know you get good at sending very long call signs. It's, you yeah. know it's the a country prefix slash your call sign. And then if you're, you're operating portable, the Europeans all seem to add slash P at the end. And so, yep. um, you know, some of them are kind of fun. Like Iceland is TF and it, you know, in Morse code TF sounds a lot like slash. So it's sort of like sending slash slash. Oh yeah. XA slash P. <laughs> You've been on a, a few of these European trips. I, I know we can't go now. Nowadays, everything's all locked down. But have you ever confused the heck out of people in the U.S. or people around you with these different uh, prefixes and, you know, reaching out when you're on a soda peak out there? They're like, who the heck is this? What is this call sign? I don't know. I think, I think the Europeans are used to copying the call signs like that since it's so easy for them, at least in pre-COVID times, to, you know, Mm -hmm. take a vacation across the border or whatever and operate some. Um, but I don't know. That was just the impression. Like nobody seemed to have issues. Yeah. My call sign or I feel like when I was there, I worked one or two summit to summits of, of people that were in a different country operating. Yeah. Now that I think about it though, it's, it's true. They're closely packed together, but at the same time, wildly different call signs. Yeah. So they're probably just used to, unusual letters we have a we kind of have a pattern that we look for 
It's like character, right. character, number, you know, character, character, right? Or something like that, of some variation like that. Whereas they're all over the place. They start with numbers sometimes. They have two numbers sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Number, letter, number. Yeah. Letter, number, number, letter. So I guess Each they get better code. practice. With, with makes it more fun doing the call sign copying practice from the yeah whatever your favorite little app is. <laughs> well, you're one of the few that I know that has actually been out there in Europe, and it's uh, sounds really cool. Especially, I could imagine some of the Alps or some of the mountains out there that are they're, they're just glorious looking scenes out there. Oh, Maybe yeah. Switzerland. I yeah, I went to Switzerland on vacation with my family a couple of years ago, but it was before I got into soda, so I, I missed yeah. getting some peaks there. It would be but great to go back like there. When I, was, when I was there last year, was in went through uh, Belgium, Luxembourg, and Netherlands, and it turns out there's only four summits in Luxembourg, so it's like, oh, well, might as well do all four and nice. get a complete on the country. <laughs> Is there an award for that? I don't think so. I mean, Netherlands only has two, but one of them was kind of out of the way. So only all, got one. all the regional managers, you should, you should heed this. Should have a completed country award for soda. That'd be a, a real accomplishment somewhere like the U.S. or yeah, Canada. That's or, what I'm thinking. It's like, I did a completed the U.S. <laughs> because a lot of the peaks. You have to trespass on to get yeah. some of those summits out in the West here. Some of the peaks out here have never been activated. They're like inaccessible except by maybe helicopter. Yeah, or if you're a good rock climber. But yeah. I've never done that, so. I'm curious, though, when, when we laid it. Well, I guess it's just surveying and saying, okay, this, this, this peak is a certain distance from the last one that we marked. So we're going to identify this one as a designator, right? So it, there's no, there's no hand cherry picking of peaks that are accessible. It's just kind of yeah, an, an algorithm. 50 meters of prominence in California has a reference number. Yeah. So. so some of these will never be activated. So I guess maybe not. Yeah. Ones in the bombing ranges and stuff, you probably don't want to activate. <laughs> yes. That would be a coveted chase. Yeah. But, but not a coveted <laughs> activation. Yeah, that's, I just never really thought of that. But yeah, a whole country, activating a whole country's worth of peaks, that's nearly impossible. Unless you're in Europe, maybe. Yeah, some <laughs> of the small European countries, it's certainly possible. Well, that's all I really had. I, I was wondering if you had anything you wanted to say before we close here. I don't know. Go out and have fun. Be safe. Definitely. It's uh, something that I think people are not really thinking about because of all the lockdowns, but it seems like almost the ideal way to get away from people and socially distance, right? Oh, yeah. You just got to find the peaks that aren't so popular and parks that aren't so popular. And, you know, I even after lockdown started, go out and see one or zero people all day on a hike. So it's, yep. And that yeah, reminds me, too. Away from everybody else is pretty good social distancing, I think. This has been a theme with some of the other soda people I've talked to, but what do you do for just emergencies, preparedness for emergencies on the trail? What are some of the things you do to prep for that? I mean, right now it's just, you know, telling people where I'm going, leaving a plan, stuff like that. Um, I don't have any of the satellite communicators or PLBs or anything like that yet. 
So I should probably get one, but so far I've been lucky and haven't been heard and haven't gotten so lost. I couldn't find myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those, the, the big deterrent, or I guess the point of resistance with the satellite things is the subscription. No one wants to add another thing to pay for. Right. Even the PLBs, I used to have one of those until I broke it, but it is, it is a good safety measure that doesn't require any kind of subscription. You just register it. And unfortunately it's one way. So you, you just hope it's working, but otherwise it's, it's a lot better than not having anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty confident in my navigation skills. I'm not too worried about getting lost, but you know, if I trip and break a leg, well, that's really nothing I can do to prepare. Yeah. That's an entirely different story. Nothing I do about that once it happens. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time with me. Thanks for having uh, me. I will say 7-3, Jeff, and looking forward to your next trip reports. I'll be adding them to the show notes of this show. Thanks. 7-3. You've been listening to Hamden Thoughts. Thanks a lot, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, Dennis, Eric, Kilo Zero, Echo Alpha Papa. Unbelievable podcast this morning with Steve. I got up early because I kind of had an idea that it was going to be him from your tweet. A- absolutely unbelievable. Um, I-, I loved every minute of it. Steve is a humble, awesome guy, and it was really interesting to hear his story. So I thank you very much for that episode. It, it was wonderful, and keep them coming, man. They're so good. Uh, yeah. Wow. I'm speechless. It was, it was awesome. Uh, yeah. Seven, three from Eric, Minnesota.